grim faces. Satan has stolen from you. This is what Jesus told me. He said, the churches have an acute deficiency of trust. And they no longer trust me. And they don't trust each other. And they no longer love my word. Right in the beginning this afternoon, I don't care if you are a worker or a preacher's wife or a newcomer or don't even know what this is all about. Pray that God will give you a love for his word. I appreciate so much my dear friend Sister Haney talking to you about the word of God, but the Lord told me two years ago, every time you get up, tell the people you need to pray that God will make you love his word. Sometimes people that work with the word in Sunday school and so forth, they'll learn just what they've got to teach from. But you better ask God to give you a love, a deep love of his word. Like, like, like the writer said, Job said, I desired his word more than I desired my necessary food. That's the kind of love I'm talking about. That you'll get up in the night and get that book. Because it's so important. It's the only thing that represents truth that we can see. Is his word. And then God pulled back the curtain on the future and showed me what he's going to do. And it was so exciting and it was so wonderful. And we're talking about it. And sometimes it looks like we're almost there. But there's something stopping us. Today, I'm taking you back to basics. John sat down to write a letter to a church, and he said, I'm not bringing you a new commandment, but the old commandment. Well, like John, I'm not standing here to tell you a new story today. I'm standing here to bring your attention back to the one that I've been preaching constantly for more than 20 years. We have got to learn how to trust him. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Did you know that you cannot trust and worry at the same time? You cannot even wonder and trust. You have got to surrender all those symptoms of your human understanding. I get so many phone calls, and so many of them start like this. Sister Prima, if I could just understand what's going on. Forget it, honey. There is not one promise in this book that you will ever understand anything. Hallelujah. But he does say, trust me, I will not fail you. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. I will not leave you. I will be there. And that's got to be enough. Now you're trying to understand. Let me tell you what it does to you. It puts a hardness in your face. In fact, it puts wrinkles in your face. If you're interested in looking younger, let me tell you how. Learn to trust God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That doesn't mean you can figure it all out. But when there's something you need to know, he has a way of letting you know. 
He has a way of teaching us what we need to know. And today, the most important thing that you can do for yourself is to learn to trust in the Lord with all thine heart. This is a wonderful recipe for life. You see, the female of the species should have a, I was talking to my dear friend about it now, I should have a softness, a tenderness, a sensitivity, and all of this is destroyed by lack of trust. I've just returned from a month in Africa. We spent three months in Africa earlier last year, and over and over I saw it again. I have preached to a congregation of people that did not know what they would find to fill their stomachs with when the service was over, and they were joyful. I can imagine preaching to a bunch of Americans that don't know where their next meal's coming from. Man, we wouldn't even hear what the preacher said. But those people shouted and rejoiced and praised God. And I finally said, what is different about this congregation? And he said, they've all lost a lot of weight because they don't know what they're going to eat when they go home. But they still got in there and gave God their best. And we have so much. And I look into your faces and see the marks of worry and anxiety and the lack of trust. It marks you. I used to live in Anxiety Alley. I know how it feels. I tell this so often, I'm going to tell it again. I woke my husband up at 3 o'clock in the morning with his big sigh. <sighs> he turned over, opened one eye, and said, Now what are you worrying about? I said, 11 more years and I'll be 50. <laughs> but thank God. I mean, I found out the 50s was great. I mean, I... And I did fine being 60, and I'm having a ball being 70. <laughs> and I'm getting ready to dance joyfully into the 80s. <laughs> when I have my birthday in July, I'll only be two years away. One of my dear friends come to me recently, and she said, You make me sick. I said, What have I done now? She said, Why don't you act your age? I said, well, I act like I feel. Is that all right? <laughs> I act like I feel. Hallelujah. But just because I successfully passed a few tests given to me to teach me more trust doesn't mean it's all ended. There's a lot of chapters in that book of learning to trust him instead of worrying and getting upset and agitated and hyper. We have to learn how to trust him. I want to tell you about my alcoholic brother that I lost. He died at 47. He's the one that I was in Africa when I got the word and it was so hard because David was an alcoholic. And I never really thought about God saving him. 
But on Monday, before I knew anything about his death, God said to me, you're not to grieve, you're to trust my wisdom and my mercy. On Wednesday, he gave me the same message again. You're not to grieve, you're to trust my wisdom and my mercy. It was in the course of that happening that God showed me his great mercy by connecting up a transatlantic phone call. No charges. Of course, if I'd only known that, I'd have talked all night probably, but I didn't know. But it never dawned on me till sometime later. Why would God talk about mercy if he wasn't going to give it? Now, I'm not trying to put an alcoholic into heaven, but that five days he was unconscious, he wasn't drinking or smoking. Hallelujah. And he did have the Holy Ghost when he was a little boy. And he had been baptized in Jesus' name. And I have perfect peace. But then I got so concerned about his two boys. You know, the children of alcoholics have a lot of emotional damage. And uh, I've seen firsthand some of the effects of it. And David's two sons, David Jr. and Don, went to Hawaii and disappeared. Well, in the course of our work, we got to Hawaii three times, and every time I tried to find Don and David. They just got over there and disappeared. And from Hawaii, all three times, I phoned their mother in Texas. Of course, she is married again, and so the boys felt like they were totally pushed out and cold. And I said, Jean, Give me Don's and David's addresses, phone numbers. Uh, uh, I, I want to see them so bad. And uh, she said, no, no, they don't want to be found. I don't have their addresses. I don't know where they are. I, if something happened, I couldn't get in touch with them. Three times, I finally found one policeman that had met Don, but he's, I don't know where he is. So... It looked like a hopeless case. But you see, with your hopeless cases, if you can only learn to put them in the hands of Jesus and then trust him. See, that's the bottom line. That's the basic. If you can learn, you see, there's a lot of people still uh, worrying in prayer. Just get out on your knees and worry about your problem in prayer. I can't find any scripture for that. Now, a burden and a concern is from God, and travail is from God. But some people get uh, stuck in the travail mode, and <laughs> they, they can't get out of it. They think they've got to forever travail. Well, you only travail till the baby is born. <laughs> when you get the witness that God's going to take care of it, then you trust, and you just keep on trusting God, I couldn't find Don, I couldn't find David. But you know how to get a hold of them, you know how to find them, and you know how to talk to them, and I'm depending on you doing it. And the years went by and nothing happened. But then three years ago, I got a phone call from David. I could hardly believe it. He said, uh, ain't Nona? He said, Grandmother Eastridge come and stood by my bed and said, David, it's time for you to make your life right with God. He said, you're going to have to tell me how to start. I don't even know how to start. Ooh, hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. 
<laughs> well, I'll make David's story short. My brother went, to, we, we prayed for him and helped him to get over there. And, and he went to Hawaii and he gave Bible lessons to him and his live-in girlfriend. And they ceased living together. And then they repented and baptized and got the Holy Ghost and then got married. And uh, <laughs> Well, with Jesus, they can live happily ever after. That doesn't mean all the trials and battles are over, but they're in good shape. And uh, so then we tried to reach for Don. I begged for Don's address. And David told me the truth. Don doesn't want anybody to have his address. He said, I felt the same way, but now I feel different. But I don't know what to say about Don. He's a very talented man but deepen in the world. But uh, Don did decide to marry his live-in girlfriend. He took one example from his brother David, and it seemed like that was going to be that. But God still has a way of getting people's attention. The night before Thanksgiving, every time I would think about them, I'd say, I thank you, God. You're going to do it. I'm resting in you. I'm trusting in you. You see... Uh, maybe I've told you before, but let me tell you again. You may have forgotten. God spoke to me plainly one day, and he said, I do answer hysterical prayers just because I am a God of mercy. But I wish my children could understand the value of calm confidence. <laughs> you see, you don't have calm confidence unless you trust him with every bit of your heart. Trust him wholly. And then you can understand that calm confidence. God, there's Don. I want his soul saved. The night before Thanksgiving, God started. His friend said, take my motorcycle, please, and fill it up with gas for me. I'm so busy. And from a simple thing like that, he was on his way back. And a nurse turned in front of him. And both vehicles burst, burst into flame. And Don was the meteor that flew over the car on fire, landed on the side of the road, burning. He took off his own hat and put out the flames on his chest. And others put out the rest of them. And, but they got him to the hospital. And the only thing that they could find broken was uh, uh, his jaw had a crack that they said it, it will never heal, so they had to go in and put a plate. Of course, he took off the carburetor off of the motorcycle with one knee, and so it's kind of damaged, and, uh, and he broke out two windows of the car with uh, one arm, and it, you know, that arm, arm's kind of the worst for wear, but nothing's broken. And uh, laying in the hospital waiting for that surgery, he said, and I said, he said, I said it out loud, God, you got my attention. You got my attention. First I know about this, I get a message that Don's coming to the States and he wants to come and see me. Well, he went to see my brother Joel, who lives in Oklahoma City. He went to see my brother Jerry, who's a missionary of the Navajo Indians in New Mexico. And, of course, before he could get away from Jerry, Jerry baptized him in Jesus' name. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> and uh, he, he used the name that his brother always called me by. He says, Ain't sis, I'm coming to see you Wednesday, and I'll, I'll have to leave again Friday. I said, No, Don, don't do that. We're going to New Orleans. Stay over with us and go to New Orleans with us. 
uh, don't shortchange us like this. We want a little bit more time with you. And uh, so on the way down to New Orleans, we stopped by this place in Louisiana where some two missionaries with a wonderful vision are building a fleet of trucks to take to Africa. In fact, two of them's already gone and a lot of other stuff, including a, a 150,000 pairs of underwear that uh, the jockey company gave them. And <laughs> they've already got that shipped over there. Uh, and he was just so impressed to see, here are people that's quit their jobs and come there and one man said I've worked here for 18 months and I'll say till it's all done. Uh, he's doing the carpenter work. Another man and his wife said we're here to do all the welding they needs doing and they're not getting anything for it except a place to park a little trailer. And that's all. And uh, I talked to the one young couple and he they told us about the beautiful home they once had and they said we decided we didn't want Jesus to come and find us doing nothing for him and we can't preach but I can do carpenter work. And so they got rid of the home and have supported themselves. And he said, and when I get through with this job, I'm going to hunt something else I can do for Jesus because the time is so urgent. There's some folks that's beginning to feel how urgent the time is. And Don was so impressed with that. And then we went by the Ray Johnsons in Denham Springs, and I was telling her about Don. Now, here sits Don, that earring in the ear, and a little deal hanging down the back of his neck. He's his curl that he fixed every morning. And, and uh, I said, Don wants to get the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and Sister Johnson said, well, you don't have to wait. And she attacked him right there. <laughs> well, he got stammering lips and spoke in other tongues a little bit. But uh, when we left, he said, I didn't get the fullness of it. I just got the start of it. But I'm going to get the fullness and it's going to come. I'm just waiting. And... Uh, he said, maybe in one of those services, because I explained to him now, we'll go uh, to the main church, Brother John Cupid's church on Sunday morning. We'll get time to eat a little bite and then rush to the afternoon service. Their outreach among the black people. It's a huge church. And then we, we'll be late for the third service. <laughs> we'll come straight back from that one. But we got in the black service that afternoon, and I mean all heaven opened up there. And Don got a good case of the rest of the Holy Ghost. He just had, had a little beginning, got a little smack. But I mean, uh, and after the Spirit lifted just a little bit, he looked over at me and he said, you know, a dead man could be brought in here and get the Holy Ghost. <laughs> There's so much power of God in this place. And, uh, but what thrilled me the most about the whole thing was he said, ain't no, no, I want some of you, your books. Please, give, I want a copy of every one of them. Uh, but he had his nose in the Bible. He couldn't stop. I'd get up in the morning and he's sitting in the chair, recliner, reading the Bible. I'd go to bed at night and leave him sitting in that chair reading the Bible. He said, I've got such a hunger. He said, I'm so far behind. He said, I I'm so far behind. I, I said, Don, keep this hunger for God and there's no telling what God will do for you. If you just keep on trusting, God will do it. Thank God, another lesson that made me feel mighty good. Last year, I had a lesson to learn that didn't feel so good. And I am going to tell you something that will shock you, perhaps. There are people who think that a preacher's kids or a missionary's kids ought to follow the example of their parents. But you see, every individual has to make their own choice. The first mistake my youngest daughter Marla made was she married a man she met on the plane that she did not know. 
and he did not know God. And when she was expecting her second child, her husband lost his mind and walked out and left her. She never divorced him. She raised her two children alone. Marla became addicted to cigarettes. Only one in our family, so far as I know, our immediate family. She'd go to church and pray, pray through. But that nicotine devil is very strong, very powerful. I knew that if she kept going that God would help her. And I remember the pastor of the church where she called her church home. He said uh, something like this, I know that your daughter is an embarrassment to you. I said, when she was born, before she was born, I was praying. I said, God, I thought our family would end at four. I don't know how, why I'm having this fifth baby, uh, but I love kids, and so I'll do my best for it. But uh, I, I just, something about me wonders. He said, I'm giving you this child to teach you faith. And believe me when I sum it all up by saying all of her life. I've had to believe God against the evidence. Three years ago, she had a serious heart attack. And the doctors discovered that she was born with small veins and small arteries, a condition that had been made worse by her habit. Now, I've never before told anyone this, but I am telling you exactly for a reason. I have a reason. You see, I'm talking about trust. One year before it actually happened, I dreamed that I got this phone call from my oldest daughter, Sandra. She said, oh, mother, I hate to give you bad news, but Marla passed away last night. Marla lived in Oregon. We live in Louisiana. I instantly realized here is a danger. If I begin to worry about this and start to grieve and, and get agitated about it, then God won't show me anything else. A lot of you would like for the Lord to show you something. No, he, he, won't, he can't trust you. You'll just worry that much more. I said, I give this to you, Lord. I give you this dream. I give you this sad knowledge that you've imparted to me and my daughter's in your hands and I'm in your hands but I claim her soul, that's all, I claim her soul. Marla did a good job raising her children. Her son is 24, has a fine little wife, and he's preaching. We're proud of Tom. He's a sweet young'un. Carrie, her daughter, is 21. And we'd gone to preach for Brother Ray Johnson in Denham Springs. And 2 o'clock in the morning, the phone rang. I knew it was for me, but I didn't answer it. And they knocked on the door and said, pick up the phone, Sister Freeman. And I heard it again. Mother, I hate to give you bad news, but Marla passed away last night. I had that dream again. I thought, no, no, this is real. And I said, God, I thank you that you do all things well. For 54 years I have preached his grace is sufficient and I know it is. As I hung up the phone, 
I heard an angel choir singing, Safe in the Arms of Jesus. Brother and Sister Johnson were so precious. They came in and prayed with us. Joanne Johnson is one of the most spiritual ladies that I know. She ranks alongside our dear Joy Haney. And Joanne said, Sister Freeman, there may be some questions in your mind. Don't accept them. Everything is all right. She is at rest with Jesus. And she didn't know what I knew, you see. I said, God, I'm going to believe you. The last time I saw her, I looked at those yellowed fingers and I said, God, I thank you because you're still God and this soul is saved in Jesus' name. I claim it. Well, after a considerable hassle, we got home and got on a plane, started out of Dallas, and because the airways had given us a hassle, they put us up in first class, awful handy for long legs like me and my husband both have. And uh, he reached over and put his hands on me, and he said, God, give my wife a, a lovely dream, a nice dream, a pleasant dream. And I went to sleep, and all of a sudden, Marla is standing in front of me in a shaft of light. I had already noticed that from the first heart attack, which she had three years ago, when the doctors did thought that her days were numbered and told her, just enjoy every day you live because there won't be an awful lot of them. I noticed Marla didn't cut her hair anymore. And that made me feel good. She had the most beautiful hair of any of my girls. She was strawberry blonde. Took so much medicine for the heart until it had dulled the hair. But in this vision I had, She's standing in front of me, beautiful, and that hair is so lovely. And she said, Mother, I'm so sorry that I've been disobedient. It would have been better if I had been obedient. But I just came to tell you, I am forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And at her funeral, a, a well-dressed lady came that I faintly remembered the name. Marla would talk every once in a while about her children. And I knew she wasn't talking about Carrie and Tom, so I, I, I said, what do you mean, honey? Are you uh, taking care of foster children or something? She said, no, mother, it's just folks that need help. Well, this lady come and said, I want to say something at this funeral. And Brother David Johnson came to us and said, what about this? And my husband and I both felt, yes, yes, it's right, but just tell her to be short. And so this lady stood, and she said, when I was 15 years old, my alcoholic mother chased me out of the house. She would not let me go to my bedroom to get my little purse that had a little bit of money in it. She would not let me get any of my clothes. She chased me out, and I'm walking down the street in the rain, weeping. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And I did not know Marla, but she came to her door and called me in, and I stayed with her three years. Marla lived on a small pension from her disabled husband from the Navy. And she wasn't flush with money. I would try hard to help her everywhere that I could. In fact, a week before her death, I was trying to figure out some way to get some new teeth for her because her teeth didn't fit properly and she couldn't use them. And, 
And that was another thing when I saw her, I saw she had two sets of teeth in her, she had teeth in her mouth. I mean, looked like I went to college and she said, today I have a beautiful home and a wonderful husband. We own our own business and I owe everything of my life that's good to this lady lying here in this box. There turned out to be 35 or 40 of those people at that funeral. She had a ministry that none of us knew anything about. Marla never had much energy, and when she had the first heart attack, the doctor says, you have never felt well in your whole life. She said, never. She didn't really complain that much, but she just you couldn't hardly get her moving. And some of the family was very impatient with her, and I'm afraid mother was much more impatient than she should have been. But you see, with all of her faults and her weaknesses, she had a ministry. And so the church invited the whole bunch to come and eat with the family. And we began to pour love on that bunch. And God's going to save a bunch of them. I don't just exactly know when or how, but we claim them in Jesus' name. And at the funeral, a neighboring pastor come up. He said, maybe this is wrong. And if, if so, please forgive me. But we so badly want you folks to come to our church. And we've, tried, we've wanted to get you. But would you come preach for us tomorrow night? Yes, yes, we'll come. He said, I know some people like to spend time grieving. I said, God has taught me not to grieve. Well, I give him my grief. The grief is there, but I gave it to him. And I was already due out there two weeks later to, for the Oregon District Ladies Retreat, so we spent that two weeks preaching around and having a wonderful time. There was a sad spot in the heart. Sometimes even now I find myself going to the phone to phone her. I did phone her every week of my life. If I was anywhere close to a phone, I phoned her. She had two more heart attacks. The doctor didn't expect her to survive the first one. But finally, the fourth one took her out. And I thank God for peace and trust in him. You see, what I want you to know is no matter what it is that you're facing, dear little Kathy played so beautiful for us today. What a lovely girl. But we, got, we could have some of a different type of situation here. We could have parents that love God and have done everything to show their kids the right way and they're bored with it all. Maybe this will be a lesson to them to thank God for Christian parents who know the right way and are leading them the right way. But what I'm talking to you about is trust. This was another lesson in trust. We even had to trust him for the funeral. Sweet little old Tom phoned me so upset. He said, oh, Ma, we're going to have to cremate Mom. We can't afford a funeral. The cremation is going to be $700, but it'll be over $3,000, be about $3,500 to get the cheapest kind of a funeral. I said, Tom, I can't stand cremation. I've been in too many countries where the heathens cremate their dead. I, 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 just, I, I just can't take it. I said, go ahead and plan the funeral. We'll trust God. Well, those preachers that all wanted us to preach for them, by the time we got through with that two weeks, there was only $500 more on Owen and Tom said, I want to pay that. I, as her son, I want to be the one that pays the last little bit of it. 
You see, if we'll just trust him, just trust him. But this is our great. God, what do you want me to tell those beautiful ladies tomorrow? And he said, tell them to trust me. Remind them that I want total trust out of them. You see, we're so good at maneuvering and scheming and planning. And we try to make our desires and wishes come true. Even the salvation of those we love. It will happen when you trust him. And when his church begins to trust him, he showed me what's going to happen. We will not be able to build a building big enough to hold the people that stream to the house of God to find out what we have got. I saw them. It was so plain. I saw that as plain as I see you. And they were huddled outside even in the rain trying to hear what's going on in the church because there's going to come a realization of hunger to that world out there. But let's face it, if we're chewing our fingernails and walking the floor and fretting and fussing and gripped with anxiety just like they are, they don't realize what we've laid hold on. When you start living what you have laid on, hold on and live in perfect trust, trust him totally and completely, you will learn how God can work. Uh, and, and you know, we, we're so inclined to, if our prayers are not answered in 24 hours, we kind of give up. You know, I mean, let a year go by, it's a hopeless case. And uh, you see, trust doesn't waver. Trust doesn't waver. I'm going to tell you something else that a few people here know, but not many. I have a wonderful son that lives 40 miles away. In 1971, in Albert Friends Church in Hamilton, Ohio, on the platform, I went on my knees and I said, God, we raised him to serve you. And he's gone far away from you. He's a big business executive and, and he doesn't think about you. But God, I want you to save Dale. And he said, I will. And so I've been thanking him for it ever since. And it's going to happen any minute. And I've been saying that for 23 years. <clears throat> 23 years I've been saying that. Got a wonderful family. God's going to save every last one of them. I trust him. I can't arrange it. I can't talk to him. I realized some time ago that Satan had blocked out everything that God had ever done for him and everything he'd ever seen. But God knows how to work. He can handle executives. He can let them fall through the cracks. <laughs> and the sale of a big business. He's done it three times now. And I just say, thank you, Jesus. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. We have got to trust him. 
got to do something about that face of yours. You, you really have got to. It's too grim. And, and then you wonder where all the wrinkles are coming from and why you look so old. Now, I, you know, uh, approaching 78, near, I'm nearly 78 years old, uh, that I've got some reason, and, and I've got another confirmation of that. One of my little great-granddaughters is going to a Christian school that my son-in-law and daughter have in their church, and, and uh, Kendra's a very smart child, so they have to just keep finding work for her to do because she does what she's supposed to do. And so they gave her a list of words and said, now make a sentence with these uh, words. And the last one on the list was hell. And it stumped her for a few minutes. But finally she come up with it. And of course her granddaughter happened to see this. And <laughs> she said, my grandma Nona is as old as hell. I've been giggling about that ever since. <laughs> Hallelujah. But what God is trying to teach you with whatever is happening to you, or whatever has happened, listen to what I'm saying. Whatever has happened to you or whatever is happening to you, God is trying to teach you. He's given you a class in trust. And too many of us are failing. I see it printed on your faces. Grim faces, solemn faces, faces that's going to get old and ugly quick. You know, the funny thing about it is I feel younger at 77 plus than I did at 50. I feel much younger and, uh, you know, and I feel great <laughs> and uh, just like I'm ready for life and God is so good. But you see, the difference is when you learn to trust him. We do the work of God and make it a, a burden trying to get it all figured out. And that's not the will of God. He is the one to do the figuring. He is the one to do the planning. You only have to make yourself available. And I do not believe that a preacher should have a breakdown. I do not believe that a child of God should be depressed. You can say ouch or you can say amen. And the reason that depression comes is because you get to feeling sorry for yourself and you get to, I've got a dear old aunt that gets up every morning and says, now where do I hurt today? And of course she's uh, six years older than I am, so uh, there probably would be some aches and pains, but you, you don't have to major in them. A lot of that stuff can just be ignored and it goes away. And quit looking inside so much and watch out for all this negative stuff. That is a sure road to depression. Self-pity, too much self-introspection, and negative thoughts is, will plunge you right into depression. And I can tell you the way out, too. You don't need any pills. You don't need waker-uppers and putter-downers. I can give you the answer. It's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say unto you, rejoice. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In my book, In the Bag, I give, there is a chapter called When the Black Cloud Comes because God showed me how it's going to happen. I saw these funny little round black clouds just floating around in the air and all of a sudden it zaps someone. 
and they're trying to go through everything that they're supposed to do, but they're so handicapped, and nobody else can see this, but I see it very plainly. I said, God, what is this? He said, it's depression, and it's just waiting to latch on to you. But you see, if you're praising God, it can't. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> it just simply cannot take possession of you if you're praising God and worshiping Him. But Sister Freeman, it's the end of my world. My whole world has collapsed around me. He's still God. And because He is still God, we praise Him. We worship. A lot of people save all of their worship for a church. Don't you dare do it. I know I'd, I've gotten some funny looks driving down freeways because I'm praising God and rejoicing and shouting and, and having me a wonderful time because my friend is right there with me. Hallelujah. Woo, hallelujah. And there is no need to give in to all that the devil is trying to do. I thank you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God is on the throne. One more thing that the Lord impressed me to share with you today. When God called me to preach the gospel and go to Africa, he nearly scared me to death. You've never seen a more bashful girl than I was. At school, I could never even open my mouth and answer a question. If they let me write it down, sometimes I could. But those, all those pupils there, I, I couldn't do it. And I said, God, surely you don't, are serious, call me to preach and to go to Africa? And I immediately did the dumbest thing that anybody can do. I started running from him just as hard as I could. From age 11 to age 20, I regret that I ran from God. Every once in a while, I'd get so miserable, I'd go to church, and I'd get out, and I'd pray through, and then the Lord say, speaking in tongues, and then the Lord say, are you willing to do what I want you to do? And I said, Lord, I'll do anything else for you, but I can't do what you're asking me to do. It's just impossible. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't understand it. And immediately, everything would leave me, and some dear, well-meaning sister would come up and put her arm around me and say, now then, honey, don't you feel better? And I said, no, I feel worse. Leave me alone. Go away. The reason I felt worse is because I wasn't willing to be obedient. I was so afraid. And finally I run till I could run no more. I heard the doctor by the bed tell my daddy, she has 36 hours to live. Take her home and let her die in the arms of her mother. Due to deep, acute, manic depression all organs of her body has ceased operating there is nothing that could be done to save her life and they took me home to die and my mother did not see one sign of repentance out of me she did not hear one word from me that I'm going to change my life but when I realized the lights had gone out and I couldn't see and I had thought I could live by determination 20 is awful young to die and I'm going to just live by determination but the lights all went out and I said turn the lights on and they said the lights are burning it went out for me and then I was falling falling and I looked down and I saw hell 
and I knew I deserved to go there because I'd been stubborn and ugly and disobedient. And then I suddenly realized how sweet the name of Jesus is and I thought, I can't say it in that fire. Let me say it one time as I fall. And I whispered that wonderful name. And I didn't fall so fast anymore. Oh, I've got time to say it one more time. And when I whispered Jesus that second time, just like a father picks up a child that's fallen, he picked me up in his arms. And he said, I forgive you everything you have done. I forgive you your disobedience. I forgive you your hard-headedness. And you can come into my house to live forever. But you'll come with empty hands. And I wanted you to bring many souls. I said, Jesus, if you'll just let me go back, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, and I'll go wherever you tell me to go. A lot of folks are trying to figure out why I don't stop and sit on enjoying that beautiful home God gave us. Oh, it's not fancy, but it's very nice. God gave us in Louisiana. But I told him I'd go. Every opportunity I get. They asked me to speak at the clergy banquet in that little town where we live, where all the clergy in the town's coming together. The first of I, I said yes before I even knew what I was going to speak to. I didn't understand what kind of a banquet. I said, yes, if I've got an open date, yeah, I'll speak. But uh, there was no breath in my body. My heart did not beat. And if I had stayed dead, my mother would have mourned me as lost. You see, let's get off of the throne of judgment. That's God's place. We are so fond of saying, well, it's too bad he didn't make it or she's lost. It's too bad she died lost. You don't know. You don't know. We have no right to even be saying things like that. That's God's place. It's not ours. But God brought me back to life. My daddy was looking up the undertaker's telephone number. When my mother yelled, she's breathing again. And my heart began to beat. And I had to cancel my wedding plans because my fiancé said, I'm not going to just serve God because you made up your mind to do it. So I called the wedding off. But I knew that was God's will. So before it was too late, God saved him. And we've worked together now for 55 years for Jesus. But the Lord told me to tell you what you need is quit trying to maneuver and scheme and plan and figure out something. Just trust him. Just trust him. And when you learn to trust him, you'll learn to smile. And you'll lose some of those wrinkles and you'll prevent a lot of them from coming. Because you'll be trusting him so implicitly that you will not allow anything to bother you or hinder you. It can look ever so black and ever so dark. We faced a bad situation last year, still going on. A grandson, not love every one of my grandkids. He gets married. Oh, it was just beautiful. Only after the wedding I found out that the wedding license had expired. So the wedding wasn't really legal. Uh, that 
pastor of that nominal church went ahead and performed it, which my husband would not have done. And it started off bad, and it just went from bad to worse, and then she kicked him out of the house, and then he went to drugs. And it's just been one sad story after another. And I just said, all right, Jesus, here he is. Here he is. <laughs> this is the way it is now, but this is not the way it's going to stay because you're going to do something. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So now he's trying to put his life back together and he's made some dumb mistakes that he'll pay for. But let me tell you what, Jesus is still in control and I know what the end of the story is because I trust him. <laughs> We've got to stop being a slave to situations and conditions and things that happen. We've got to look at it and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Hallelujah. When you listen to some things that the word has to say about trusting him, we listen to this in Psalms chapter 5, verse 11. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy. You just don't stop shouting and rejoicing. Let, because thou defendest them, let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God has got so much in here about trusting. I've just got to read you a little bit. Uh, listen to this. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. None of them that trust in him shall be desolate. No matter how hopeless it gets, that's what God's got to say about it. If you'll just trust in him, hallelujah, hallelujah. And I love this one. You know what Mount Zion is. That's God's heart is in Mount Zion. Uh, this is Psalms 125 and 1. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed and abideth forever. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. And listen to this one. Uh, this one is found in Psalms 91. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. And, and, the, and the fourth verse in the same chapter, He shall cover thee with His feathers and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. And let me close with my favorite, which is Psalms 25, verses 1 and 2. Under thee, O God, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. Whatever you're going through today, we've heard from God. We're going to trust. I know I'm going through some things right now, and I have learned to trust in Jesus. One of the things, I, my book company that published this latest book, 
because I owed on another book would not release any books until I had sent them a $4,000 check. And I sent them $4,000 with $200 in the bank. I had $200 in the bank and I mailed a $4,000 check. And I said, don't cash it until January 30th. God will have that money in the bank. Now you say, well, that's crazy. Well, I've learned to trust, Sister Freeman. That's it. You think that's foolish, but God owns the business. God owns your children. God owns your life. Let him take charge of things. Let's quit worrying and believe and trust in God. What is it today that you're worried about? Are you worried about children that are struggling, having trouble? Are you worried about your marriage, your husbands, your... What is it? Let's do what she said. Let's take it out of our mind and hold it up to him today and say, God, I give you this worry. Would you do that right now? What is it you're worrying about? Maybe you're worrying about several things. As you hold this up, I'd like you to come forward signifying that you are going to learn to trust in God and not worry, not fret, not be afraid. God is the supplier of all things. In God, all things are possible. Can we come forward as we sing about trusting today? So sweet God, I give you everything, everything Jesus. today. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I trust. We trust in our financial areas. We trust with our children. We trust God about our marriages. We trust about relationships. All the things that are bothering us today. I trust in you, Jesus. I trust in you, Jesus. You are God and beside you there is another. Name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, for oh, for hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
how many of you are going to go trusting from this building today? I think we need to do like Sister Freeman said. As we have lifted this up and given this to the Lord, now we need to rejoice and thank God that he's already started working. Amen? Sister Nancy is going to give a chorus. She said the Lord wanted her to sing it up here, and I believe it. <laughs> Goes right along with what she was talking about. Sing it to us, Sister Nancy. Well, I can't sing it in the key that you're supposed to, so y'all forgive me if I can't find the chords. But it goes like this. Those who trust in the Lord will never be shaken, will not be forsaken. Those who trust in the Lord, they shall stand like Mount Zion in victory and triumph. Those who trust, who trust in the Lord. Not unto your own understanding, put your faith in the word of the Lord. In his wisdom, might, and power, he will reign forevermore. Those who trust in the Lord will never be shaken, will not be forsaken. Those who trust in the Lord, they shall stand like the Trust him for the rest of your life. Put a big smile on your face and say, God, in spite of, I'm going to trust. No matter what comes my way, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust in Jesus. You're going to trust in Jesus today? Hug your neighbor and say, I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to trust in Jesus. The battle is already taken care of. We are winners, we are conquerors, we're trusting in Jesus. Dismissed in Jesus' name.